0: And so the, the skin has got this deep relationship with the nervous system. So to touch the skin is to touch the nervous system. If you think of a single-celled organism, its nervous system is the membrane. That determines how it interfaces with the environment.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. You've no doubt heard patients ask in the clinic, do you think the acupuncture helped? This is usually after they tell you about how their chiropractor fixed the headache that you've been working on or how they're much better now that they're taking the probiotic that their cousin recommended or they simply forgot about the problem they originally came in with and failed to notice that it was absent. The human mind is curious. We live in stories and fail to notice how our belief colors our perception, which in turn calls the tune on our emotional response. One of the most frustrating and illuminative things I've noticed over the years in clinic is how patients will tell you something or respond to your diagnostic inquiry with a yes, but. Yes, but as Anyone who's ever been in a relationship will tell you means that you've been politely negated and disagreed with. It's a false appearance of agreement that is whipsawed away with the but. I know that I, and perhaps you too, have used this in an attempt to persuade a patient that your treatments have been effective. That it's not the onions in the socks, but the herbs you prescribed that made a difference. It's not the supplement that they read about on their Facebook group that's making a difference in their headaches, but it's a change that is more likely related to the acupuncture that you've been providing. Yes, but it's dismissive and that will always cause a bit of a rift in any rapport that you manage to create. So try this. Yes, and it's A way to maintain connection with your patient and their worldview and at the same time make your point about something else without being dismissive. I catch myself in clinic all the time, yes, but, and then have to correct it with, well, actually, it's not a but, it's an and, yes, and, yes, the chiropractor's adjustment or the PT's dry needles or the whatever that you read on Instagram that might have helped And, life is not a controlled experiment. So, the acupuncture, your attentiveness to getting better sleep, or skipping those three diet sodas in the afternoon, might also have a hand in the changes that you're experiencing. And, one more thing. It's helpful to notice if you're looking to your patients to give you credit for the changes that they are experiencing because if you're looking to have them tie their results to you because of an emotional attachment, then you're asking your patients to take care of you when it's you who is supposed to be taking care of them. Navigating clinic and patient encounters can be a delicate process, and all the more so if you're using the lightest of touch and intervention like that of a needle, I remember in the first few weeks of acupuncture school, we toyed around with a spring-loaded tachine for doing some acupressure. It seemed like a toy, and for sure, we were clumsy monkeys there at the beginning. But in time, I watched skilled practitioners use the gentle touch, and I've investigated it myself at various junctures in my practice. Light does not mean without potency. Think of a well-timed, and properly executed whisper. Bob Quinn, who you've heard before here on the show in episodes 46 and 263, is back to talk about the gentle tools of Taishin and Enshin. If you love putting your hands on people and find a full and florid language and touch, you'll particularly enjoy this conversation. We'll get into that in a moment. Stay with us.
2: Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful, and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Meiwei.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula, or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM learn about treatment strategies, and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit MeiWi.com. This season and every season, trust MeiWi Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
1: And be sure to mention the code GEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love like our simple needle. Being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit accufastneedles.com slash geological to learn how. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves, let's get to work. Hey, welcome, um,
3: geological listeners, to this edition of Shop Talk, uh, where we're going to be discussing uh, upcoming uh, psalm acupuncture class. We have with us Chi uh, Ling Lin, uh, one of our colleagues down in uh, Southern California in Ventura. Chi uh, Ling, uh, do you mind introducing yourself and uh, letting us know a little bit about yourself?
4: Yeah, hi, geological friends. I'm Ling Ling, or just Jiling for short, and I'm an acupuncturist, herbalist, and yoga teacher down here in Ventura, California, right by the ocean. And I just had the pleasure of interviewing Toby, <laughs> cross-interviewing Toby for a different podcast. Uh, I chat with different herbalists every month for the Mountain Rose Herbs podcast uh, called Herbal Radio, a section uh, called Tea Talks with Ling. So I'm happy to be here again with you, Toby.
3: All right. Um, Is there any questions you want to ask me about this upcoming psalm class?
4: Sure do. First off, what is Sa'am acupuncture and how does it work?
3: Okay. Uh, So psalm acupuncture is a 400-year-old Korean monastic tradition. Um, The the name Sa'am is the name of a wandering monk that developed this tradition 400 years ago in Korea. And uh, then it's been passed on uh, uh, teacher to student, teacher to student, all the way up to my teacher, who's a monastic. And for some reason, my teacher made a decision to teach a person this tradition. So uh, my teacher uh, taught me this tradition, and then he asked me if I ever have a chance um, to pass us on uh, to do so. So that's um, with my teacher's blessing, I've been uh, I've been sharing this tradition with other people.
4: What distinguishes this tradition from other forms of acupuncture?
3: Yeah, it's the really unique part about this system. It's, it, um, combines, uh, things that usually we use like disparately in Chinese medicine. Yin Yang, of course, is the foundation for all of Chinese medicine, but five phases, five phases we often use for acupuncture. Uh, it's included in the system and the six confirmations. Um, usually we use that for more herbal traditions, and this tradition uh, combines that in into the system. So we use yin-yang, five phase, and six confirmations uh, all at once together in the system. That that makes it a little bit unique.
4: So I heard that it only involves four really thick needles and Jing well points. Tell me
3: okay. about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, that's that's true. It it, it can involve uh, thick needles. Traditionally, this is uh, is done with really thick needles um, because we're only getting four points. So we, we've got to make sure that we get chi and all of those four points. We can't have any of the points not stimulated. Otherwise, the the treatment's really wonky. We have to make sure that they all are are, are activated. We've got. Uh, the arrival of chi, and we asked each point to do something, and so thick needle helps us with that, but it's not an absolute requirement for this tradition. But yeah, it, that, that that's a helpful aid. And then, oh yes, it does involve Jing Well points. Uh, so yes, the uh, the combinations for the Psalm system are involved some Jing Well points. Patients tend to tolerate Jing Well points because they know it's only going to be four needles altogether. So if it involves one or two Jing Well points, patients seem to be okay with that Um, especially uh, the the system tends to get pretty good clinical results so especially uh, patients don't like jingwell points but they love clinical results so especially if you can get them instantaneous clinical results they quickly forget about the pain of the jingwell points
4: what types of conditions does um, excel at
3: Uh, that's a good question i mean it's a really it's a complete system that's uh, ready to take on anything for me yeah, the, the whole range of conditions usually we see for medicine, and especially Chinese medicine, uh, pain conditions, infertility conditions, common cold, every everything. You know, the, the psalm system is designed to be a complete system because monastics really needed it. This is a wandering monk's tradition, so... Uh, The monks would treat themselves quite a bit because uh, they had no shelter and they weren't sure about food and things like that. So they would often have to be able to treat themselves basically any condition that came up. And then as part of their vows, right, they, they, they want to help all beings. So any people that they would run across with any type of condition, this acupuncture was designed to be able to help them as well.
4: So with only four points, is it a style where you put it in, leave it in there for 20 minutes, take off, come back? Or how does that part work?
3: Yeah, uh, it it is a style where once you've made your diagnosis, the four-point combination just flows from that diagnosis, and then you're done, right? Uh, the, this tradition, we don't stimulate again or really add too many more of the points. As you get more advanced in the system, there's lots of things that you can uh, you can do to add or take away things, but especially initially learning the system, it's basically you, the diagnosis flows into those four points, and then you're and then you're free to go into your next patient. I used to say almost uh, 30 patients a day using the system and it's it's pretty efficient like that, right? Uh, if you have a really busy clinic, this, this can be really helpful.
4: You mentioned to me earlier that to practice um, one does not need to learn another theoretical system. So what what's what happens during the the training?
3: Yeah, the the training is is basically it, so it's, it would be a weekend a weekend course, and at the end of the weekend course, you have the fundamentals enough to be able to practice this psalm system. The really plus you uh, I the concept of this is that acupuncturists come to this and they already know yin yang five phase, and six confirmation theory. They're already steeped in those those traditions. So basically, we spend the entire weekend just combining them into the system so there's nothing new to learn you already know yin yang you already know five phase you always you already know six confirmation theory we just combine this and then use it uh, the monastic training itself is takes a lot of time because the monks don't know they don't have any background in uh, Chinese medicine so we have to start off what is yin yang what is five phase what is six confirmation and then put it together with uh, clinicians quickly they can do this especially clinicians that have been practicing 30 40 years they quickly pick this up. Um, because they're already so familiar with these systems. And then new students, I think uh, they really like this because they learn all these separate ideas in school. And then, wow, they can combine all those, those concepts together in one system. So it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of rewarding for, for both camps.
4: Are there particular differences in diagnostics with the Sa'am tradition?
3: There's there's a little bit of peculiarities uh, about the psalm system, but it, it's a it's a big observation uh, system. So, like my teacher, he didn't check pulse or tongue or anything like that. He would just observe the patient very meticulously, very carefully, and then uh, and then get to work and immediately start putting points in. So, um, it, it, you know, the, it, it's our usual diagnostic uh, parameters, but but really based on observation. So we look really closely at the patient's, uh, complexion, the eyes, skin, body type, and then personality wise is a huge portion for, uh, for our diagnosis too, so we have to kind of get to know, get a feel, a quick feel for the patient, and then uh, that could be a really important factor when we're needling. You know, is that person really industrious or really lazy? That's an important factor for us in the sound system. So you got to you got to be able to uh, evaluate uh, patients' personalities pretty well with the system.
4: So with the personality evaluation, does that tie into like elemental constitution? type of diagnosis?
3: Yes. So that uh, again for the for the weekend we we put that all into the yin yang five phase and six confirmation theory. So for example, I, I just said like, you know, someone that's really industrious and someone who's really lazy. Maybe we can split those two and then and talk about it. So for the patient in front of us that's really lazy, right, that is has to do with the spleen. And we know that a spleen is a yin organ and we know it has to do with earth. The phase, and that is dampness, and then it also has to do with a tai yin, which is dampness. So it's yin, wet and wet. This makes everything really heavy, boggy, and everything like that. That patient is just really lazy. would Would really like to be a couch potato. And uh, for the psalm system, we we pair uh, based on suwen twenty four. We pair the. the channel is a little bit different than we're used to. Uh, we pair it by conformation. So Tai Yin is paired with Yang Ming. This is right out of uh, suwen 24. So the spleen, uh, being Yin and double damp, is paired with the Yang large intestine, which is metal, which is, has to do with dryness, and Yang Ming, which has to do with dryness. So you can see uh, th- these are totally po- po- uh, polar opposites with qualities. So that that, uh, that metal and really dry person's always going doing projects and doing a whole bunch of things like that. So we need to get a sense about them uh, when we treat them, you know, what what qualities they're manifesting. Interesting. Can you see it in your so, mind, that heavy dampness sitting on the couch, and then that dry, light person just running around doing two different things?
4: So then with that four-point combination, would you be bringing in an ally points for the spleen presenting person?
3: Maybe you don't even need to go to this class. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. So we have we have two different uh, possibilities there. So if, let's say we exam we the patient in front of us. We decide there's spleen excess that they're just lazy. They're watching Netflix all the time and they're not going out looking for a job or anything. They're just uh, at home eating sweets and watching Netflix. Okay, you can see this patient in your mind, right? So we we have so that's spleen excess relative to this large intestine deficiency. So we have two options there. We can drain that spleen excess so that they become in balance again and they can go out and get a job and get really active and start doing things. Or this tradition really uh, thinks this is a much better idea. Instead of draining the spleen, we supplement the large intestine. And as that comes up, they get those qualities too. Again, the spleen isn't wrong, it's just imbalanced. So the fact that it's excess if we can just uh, supplement the counterbalancing aspect to it, then that just resolves the condition. and the patient ends up much stronger because we're actually adding something into their system. and then and then that gap closes so then they can whatever situation they find themselves in, they need to relax. They can because they have that spleen excess or that that spleen quality there. And we've added this new large intestine. Uh, quality into the body. So if they do need to go out and get a job, they do need to go out and do something, be really active and start projects and things like that. They can because they have that quality. When these two qualities are equal, then you can manifest whatever you need in the given situation. The problem is if you're spleen excess and you really do need to go out and get that job, you can't, you just don't have the qualities to, to that that dry lightness and, and starting projects. You just don't have that energy. So you, you can't manifest it even though it's desperately needed.
4: So would the tonifying or draining be primarily based on point selection then, rather than needling technique?
3: That's where the uh, needling technique is part of it, but that's where the four points come in. Mm. So let's say, let's continue with our example. So Mm. the the patient in front of you is that spleen excess patient. So Mm. they're heavy, they're wet, they're unmotivated to do anything. So... You've diagnosed that. So then the psalm system uses the four-point combinations to supplement the large intestine to deal with that. So how we do that is we want to, um, and all this theory is is right out of the Nanjing, chapter 69, uh, difficulty 69, difficulty 72, and, and difficulty 74, I believe, gives all the logic for this, but we're already so familiar with this with our Chinese medicine training. But so we want to make some yang metal. So what we want to do is we want to, shut off the two the checks on the young metal which is fire right and we want to supplement uh the aspect that makes earth in the body do you remember what that is, <laughs> is it, it's been a long time since your chinese medicine training or what
4: yeah <laughs> so that would be the earth points on the metal which would be is that
3: yeah, that's that's L-I- exactly right. Earth is going to make metal and fire yeah. is going to check metal. So we want to really supplement the two points that are going to help us with that. So yeah, yeah so I, I won't uh, quiz you anymore. But so large intestine, ele- oh, you, you already got it. Yes, large intestine 11, we would supplement, right? Why would we supplement that?
4: Because that's earth.
3: Right, the yeah. earth point on the yang metal channel. So yeah. we'd supplement that to make some more metal on that channel.
4: And then the fire point you would drain? On the metal channel,
3: yeah, on the metal channel, and the fire point on the fire channel itself, the young fire channel. So let's stay with large intestine. So we would go down. Do you remember what the fire point is on the large intestine channel? A further. Uh, this point. Uh, no five. <laughs> okay, no, no <laughs> problem. Again, because usually we do, we don't use this. Uh, don't think You're, like this. Yeah. But but then yeah. once, I mean, once you have this, and we just use these parts of it too. So it, it's a pretty straightforward uh, combination, you know, that you just get used to over and over again, this pattern. But so it's LI5, right? So we uh-huh. drain that uh-huh. because we want to take that fire check off of the metal channel. So we supplemented the mother earth uh, at large intestine 11, and then we've taken the check off on the LI5.
4: And then you'd be using a fire point on the fire channel to yeah, drain?
3: Yeah, on the, on the yang fire channel. So mm-hmm. I, I'll just ask you for the channel, and then I'll tell you the point. Okay. What's the yang fire channel?
4: Would that be Sanjiao?
3: jiao? Uh, yes, that, it could be, but that's the ministerial fire. What about the ah. true fire one?
4: Okay, small intestine. Yes.
3: So yeah. small intestine five, right? We drain that point, fire point on the fire channel. Mm-hmm.
4: And,
3: and then, then point uh, number four. Uh, Yeah, this this is a point you use every day in your clinic. So nothing unusual like LI5, SI5, unusual. Spleen (laughs) 6. Even more popular than Spleen 6. Is that possible?
4: Even more. Stomach 36.
3: Stomach 36, earth point on the earth channel. Ah. So we would take the uh, earth point on the young earth channel, stomach 36, and supplement that. So LI11 supplement, SI5 drain, LI5 drain, and stomach 36 supplement. This will pick a big shove of large intestine energy into the patient's body. So again, ideally, if if our diagnosis is correct, then big changes start happening in the, in the patient, uh, like psychological changes quickly and then slowly uh, uh, physical changes too. Sometimes those are quick too, but mostly psychological. People will feel more motivated. They'll feel more organized. They'll, really, they'll get a little chutzpah and get up and go. And it's, it's really rewarding to do that.
4: Wow. Uh, big needle and LI5 is kind of painful.
3: <laughs> uh, no, nothing compared to big needle and Jing Well. So LI5 <laughs> yeah. is, is pretty much OK.
4: Yeah. Cool. Well, that was an excellent example. Thanks for walking me through that.
3: Sure. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's uh, you've you really uh, grasped the, the tradition quickly, right? You, you understand, yeah, uh, that we just try and counterbalance those things. We can drain, but we prefer not to. Um, we prefer to supplement. Patient ends up stronger and more balanced.
4: Well, cool. well, I think that's it for my questions for right now.
3: Okay, great. Thank, thanks so much for uh, coming. Anyways, thanks so much for inviting me on your program. I really had such a good time discussing things with you. And thanks for coming in on uh, on this uh, geological <laughs> shop talk discussion. I really appreciate you asking me questions about it.
4: Oh, yeah. Thanks so much, Toby, for sharing. And bye, geological folks.
3: Geological family, take
0: good care, okay? All right,
1: bye everybody Bye Bob Quinn, welcome back to Geological Thank you, Michael
0: Good to see you and hear you
1: Always wonderful to talk with you We've been gabbing about Chinese medicine for like a quarter century now I had relatives that used to say, old relatives And they used to say, time really flies, you don't know where it goes And of course as a kid you're thinking, well
0: come on, make it hurry up already Right, right, right Yeah, I'm not trying to rush it now. (laughs) No,
1: no, no, where's the brakes?
0: Anyway, we're here today
1: to talk about tachines and tachine needles and a new book. When's that book coming out?
0: It's out. It'll be at Blue Poppy tomorrow. It's at uh, Amazon now.
1: We are recording this early in March, so by the time all y'all hear it, there'll probably be a ton of great reviews on Amazon for it. So, Taishin, before we get into the book, Taishin, how'd you get into Taishin? Taishin is such a weird thing. It is weird.
0: It is weird for the mind that we grow up with, this kind of thinking of cause-effect uh, materialism, and it just doesn't seem to be enough stimulation that's delivered with a Taishin to change a system, we're calling the body a system here, in any significant way, you know, just especially say you've learned your Taishin work in Toyohari Toyahari training, where they're emphasizing five grams of contact pressure. Well, that's the weight of a nickel. And you think, well, how is that doing anything? And some people have tation techniques that are more significant, but none of them are, you know, top like massage rock kind of techniques. Now they're all quite quite gentle compared with most bodywork and yet things do happen and that's undeniable we know these are han dynasty tools but we have no idea how physical the techniques were back then there's not a, a word in the Shu about the techniques we have good descriptions of the tools but no tools from the han era exist still we're just we have tools from later dynasties that were made using the descriptions in the Ling Shu, like Chapter One, Chapter Eight, and then you know we've got materials, people are making them in cobalt, copper, jade, silver, gold, titanium, brass, everything imaginable that uh, people playing with, and I think that's a good thing myself, uh, but that certainly wouldn't have been contemplated i well, I say certainly I'm guessing it wouldn't have been in the Han Dynasty
1: well, maybe stone or something like that, but it's not like they had
0: fancy metal alloy
1: technology back then.
0: Exactly. And we don't know. Were they pressing quite physically on an acupuncture point? Were they doing the kinds of things we do? They exceedingly gentle. I kind of doubt it myself, but I don't know. We have no idea. Yeah, it's a great big question, Mark.
1: And regardless of how they may have used the Tation needle in the Han Dynasty, What's really of interest to me is how we're using it today and how we conceive of it today and how we think about and utilize, you know, like you said, it's like a nickel's worth of pressure. There's a part of our modern mind that goes, what the hell is that?
0: Yeah, that's just not enough for our way of thinking that we were brought up with. So, so what's going on here? Well, there are researchers, you know, from the scientific perspective, uh, Dr. Denda in Japan. There are some neurologists on, with TED Talks talking about this kind of evolving now, the skin science. And uh, Thomas, uh, Dr. Thomas Wernicke, he was the first with the Shonishin book. He goes through, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven different kinds of receptors that we know are in the skin. Some respond to stronger pressure, some very light, some to rhythmic pressure, some to stroking and so on. So there's all kinds of equipment in our skin to pick up various types of information from the environment. And I think that's a big part of explaining how something as gentle as what goes on with a Tation or an Enshin or a yonayama zan-shin, Choki Shin, all these different tools that are out there, some are Better design for stroking, some for doing point specific work, some for tapping. Dr. Bear, who's been discussed, I think, and I think it was a David, did a great job of going through some of Dr. Bear's classical thinking. You know, he was doing a, his version of the Mublin style at the end. Mublin style was a popular style a few hundred years ago in Japan where you had a ebony mallet and a long tation, and you were tapping in the abdomen. The whole diagnosis happened in the abdomen. The whole treatment happened in the abdomen. Well, people are kind of rediscovering this in the last 20 years, say, in Japan. And Dr. Bear's son was studying that. And he would come home from seminars and tell his dad what he's doing. Dr. Bear didn't want to go and do that whole normal way. He was always a rebel. So he developed his own way. So he didn't restrict himself, by the way, abdomen so this would, we're talking now about an in not so much a tation, because dr. bear he was tapping on something contact point with the skin was probably like 10 to 15 millimeters across in diameter so engine tation for those who are not familiar yeah engine is the round needle. Now, some of them uh, look like a silver wand with a silver marble on the end of the wand. That's one type. The one I use, we, we call it a dewdrop drop inch. And so it's got a, a narrow end and a fat end. And the tapping technique we were just describing, this Mubun-esque technique, that's done with the narrow end. Uh, could be done with a fat end as well, because the fat ends in a dewdrop drop style is not all that fat. And then there's a cross between an engine and a tation called an entation. And so that's still a round needle, but it's just not quite the diameter of an engine. And then the tation is like a a metal toothpick. And most people are using copper or silver or gold, but titanium is easy to find and brass and so on. Uh, They're all out there.
1: Now, you mentioned a TED talk on skin science and you're also talking about receptors what are they finding here
0: oh the the i wish i had the doctor's name she was talking about research she had uh, done showing that the emotional state a change in the emotional state is detectable in the skin before it's detectable in the person's uh, experience yeah it's mind blowing and then the Japanese doctor dr denda and you you can read a whole just go to you know Google Scholar and put in skin science dr denda d e n d a you'll get to a whole paper, not even just the abstract, and people call the gut the second brain right well he's calling the skin the third brain, and making the argument many people do this i've heard this from people in say the visceral community, craniosacral community, that there are three tissue types in an embryo that develops into the central nervous system. That's the same tissue type that develops into the skin. And so the the skin has got this deep relationship with the nervous system. So to touch the skin is to touch the nervous system. If you think of a single-celled organism, its nervous system is the membrane. That's Determines how it interfaces with the environment. Is this a noxious influence I need to move away from? Is this food I need to move towards? Uh, is this something just like me and I can go together with them? Uh, that sort of thing. This is determined from you know the, the cell wall, cell membrane. And so I think we've given short trip to our skin for a, a long time. We need something like that to explain how could, the tation possibly be as successful as it is it's interesting to hear about the science
1: you know of course being a westerner and growing up in this culture we it's impossible to get away from it we can learn a second language of east asian medicine look through those lenses look through those perspectives but it's and we might even be fluent with it but it's not our mother tongue so to speak so having something like this skin science alongside. It's so funny. I mean, I've, I've been doing this stuff for 25 years now. And there's a part of my brain that says, hey, I can ignore everything Western because it actually doesn't apply here. But at the same time, I can't ignore it that far. You know, it's just because just of the, the way I'm wired. And so hearing about this is really fascinating. And it makes me wonder about all the other subtle influences with our skin that we might not be paying attention to but have a dramatic effect
0: yeah for instance i don't know if you're aware of him ryan drum i don't even know if he's still alive i, th- I think he is he's a major figure in the north american herbal community brilliant guy phd i think in botany you know taught at ucla taught at western Washington and a famous marine biologist, but he made the argument that, you know, we're naked or nearly naked creatures brushing up against plants all the while. And we were getting microdosed through our skin with all kinds of plant chemicals that once you're thoroughly clothed, you look at me now, I got three layers on my upper body and, you know, I could go through a whole bunch of plants and nothing's going to get on my skin. But that we have this intimate relationship, was his argument, with the plant world. And we're always exchanging uh, information. And uh, so there's another argument for just how sensitive the skin is to subtle stimuli. Because certainly that was not a massive dose of plant chemicals, right? And whether he's right in that belief or not, I don't know. But it's an interesting idea. So yeah, the skin becomes... Uh, just an unexamined element of our anatomy that becomes crucial to investigate more closely if you're looking for a scientific understanding of how the heck could this station work? It's just doing so little of anything. Yeah, and I, I want to say up front, although I wrote a book about it, I make no claim. Uh, to mastery, you know. When I teach, I tell people I'm sharing my studentship. I've seen people who are really good. We were talking about Doctor Bear; he was unbelievably good. But I've seen others who are really good, even some, you know, North Americans. And uh, I'm just fascinated by it. I don't think I I had great hands for strong massage. You know, strong shiatsu, strong traditional Thai massage. It took me forever to switch my hands over. To hands that could do this kind of work. It was probably a 10 year long project. But I was driven. I just, it was, uh, now we've talked before, my interest in dreams. This path was told to me in dreams. So I felt like I had to do it. Had to do it. I, it sounds to me like you were invited to do it and you took the universe up on the invitation. Yeah. And uh, of course, in Japan, you meet some very interesting characters with some interesting ideas. You know, I never met Dr. Monica, but he was a Buckminster Fuller-like character. And he had that whole idea of over-treatment and a way of graphing it out. And uh, if you study engaging vitality with uh, you know, Dan Bensky. When I studied, you know, Chip was still around, Marguerite is still teaching. And uh, they really spend time on this topic that we are almost certainly many times providing too much treatment to our patient and over treating them. And the good thing in the Engaging Vitality uh, trainings, they teach you how to know have you entered that. Territory of over treatment, and Doctor Monica, you know this is brilliantly explained in the book that's you know Stephen Bird did with him, the Chasing the Dragon's Tail. I understand a new Monica style book is coming out with uh, Oren and Steven and some other co-authors.
1: Now, yes, the engaging vitality teaches ways of, of sensing subtle, subtle palpation, subtle motion. Sensing so that you you can tell if you've developed that sensitivity. You talk about your hands. It took you 10 years to switch from strong shiatsu to more gentle. I have found with the engaging vitality, it's not just a shift in my hands. It's a shift in my pacing, in my breathing, in my capacity to pay attention. There are days where, days I feel like I can... uh, I can catch it in other days where I just feel like dead wood.
0: Those are the days you do a lot
1: of moxa. (laughs) Yeah. I can't really do moxa because my lungs are sensitive. I have to do other things. But, you know, I mean, yeah, we all have a fallback that that we can use. I just want to put a pin in over treatment with this. Um, I came across a set of um, stone. I guess you could say they're engines. That's the shape. A friend of mine in Taiwan gave them to me, and I'd forgotten that I had them. And some weeks ago, I found them, and I was like, oh, look at these. There's amethyst, there's like this quartz crystal, there's, I think, a rose quartz. And uh, I've been investigating the Taishin lately, exploring it from time to time. And I thought, ooh, I'm going to try these out. So I've got this one patient. I only do Taishin with her. She's very sensitive. And I used this uh quartz crystal on her quartz crystal needle, and uh, she emailed me like two hours later and said, "I feel like I got hit by a truck. It's like I felt fine leaving, and then like a half hour later, just I was flattened. I'm like, "Good God, you know, I just again, there's my western mind. oh it's a it's a pretty stone, whatever." and um." I'm telling you, that that thing evidently has some firepower.
0: Yeah, in Japan, Funamisu sensei uses uh, quartz. Mainly, I have seen him work on the scalp points with the, the quartz. I'm a little afraid of it at the moment. Yeah, they're powerful. They're absolutely powerful. You have to be pretty good on the pulse, the skin assessment we want to you know, Toyahari has this whole way of training you to be sensitive, what they call the luster of the skin. And, uh, you know, just Dr. Bear, he, well, first of all, for the listeners, he, for the last 30, 35 years of his practice, he used only the tation. He had a silver one and a gold one. And uh, had a lot of clever techniques he developed. Well, of course, Dr. Bear died September 1st. Very sad uh, to lose him. we talk, his, his son, Tomo, the great practitioner, when he, Dr. Baer Todd and Santa Fe, Tamo came, and I got a chance to see his work, which is excellent. So we think David and I are going to maybe put together a Zoom study group with Tamo Also want to mention an earlier interview you did with Gary uh, Klepper for people who are interested in what I'm saying with the Taishin. You know, he presents some of Kuhara Sensei's information uh, there basically about how to the relationship you know to left hand and right hand and tanjong lower dantian third eye these these are important parts of using the tation you can't just rest you know this little metal toothpick on an acupuncture point and expect uh, miracles uh, to happen dr Baer, he doesn't use you know the engaging vitality way of assessing for overtreatment. He he could tell just with a, a quick little brush of the yin compartment of the forearm, kind of just distal uh, to the elbow crease, say. He got so much information from just touching the skin there. It's just uh, a phenomenally interesting to observe that. I, I use that assessment all the time now. I'm nowhere near as refined in my perception as he was.
1: Well, we're all working on it. So. When you're looking for signs of over-treatment, what are the things that most stand out for you? You mentioned the forearm,
0: but what else is there that you look at? Say the pulse quality, you've been tracking it hopefully all along. If you do something, check something. Do something, check something. So say you've spent a a minute or two or four treating in the abdomen with your patient, check the pulse. You've just treated the stomach channel on one leg, check the pulse. So you have a sense of the pulse, hopefully the quality is improving, improving, improving. And then maybe you're on a plateau and you're still on a plateau, still on a plateau. Maybe start wondering, I'm not going to get it any better, Uh, and especially if it's a pulse quality you like now. But then maybe you keep doing things because you're thinking they're paying for an hour and I've only done 35 minutes. And all of a sudden you see the pulse quality, you're not happy with it to the same degree anymore. It starts to get maybe a little rough vibration or a little sharp, we say, a little kind of gets narrower, more focal. Then you better stop. And now say you're Really, you're with a patient and they want their hours worth, you can turn them over and you can do things like use a guide tube and they'll think a needle's going in, but you're just tapping on an empty guide tube. Or you give them some breathing homework to do, that kind of thing. You can usually, especially if you have overtreated, then we do direct moxa. There are some points that are good for that. Large intestine 11, stomach 36, governing vessel 14. Now, if you've really done a, a messy job of it and they really are overtreated, and as a supervisor, you know I've seen this in clinic. Uh, I usually don't do that bad a job of it myself if I've overtreated at this point, then you're not going to get the pulse back to a pretty state, just get it less horrible and then send them on a, their way and and don't tell them you screwed up, right <laughs> then that's the best you can do is make it less bad if you've really overtreated. Dan uses, you know, this idea of, he calls the yang rhythm, right? If it gets highly viscous, you've overdone it. Like it's, you know, motor oil for a car.
1: Do you have a sense of the fluids in the body when you're working with the tation?
0: Uh, Not in the kind of refined way. That was Chip's specialty, and he was really beautiful at it. That's on my to-do list for the future. I mean, I can do the assessments that Chip taught me. And I can check in on kind of overall the fluid quality. This is only in the last two years I've been doing this. And I find it uh, important information. And then I've got a baseline. So I do that and come back. But I don't have specific techniques I do if I think the baseline finding shows kind of poor fluid quality kind of uh, Quality, vibrational quality, how much vitality is there? How much healthiness is there there? I don't specifically say go to like Jeffrey because he learned from Wang ju Yi, you know, lung five, spleen nine as a combo for fluid problems. I've experimented with a few times. It seems to be helpful, but I don't, I just keep doing what I'm doing on kind of chi and blood levels. This was how, how I was taught the Nagano style from. Uh, Shimomura-sensei said, focus first chi. Assuming we're working on a a postnatal problem, the chi is the focus. Then if you need to move on to the blood, if you still have a fluid problem, go back to the chi again and the blood again. They really hesitated trying to directly influence the fluid problems, qualities. That's interesting. I don't know what Nagano's Know, thinking was on that. But I held that kind of in the background of my mind. And so I don't often go after fluids uh, directly. It's one of the things
1: that enters my awareness quite a bit as I'm working with the Tatian. I think in part because I've done some of the EV study. I think in part because I've, you know, like you, I spent some time with Chip. The idea of the fluid body is really fascinating to me. Sometimes I feel like I'm connected to it. I get information. Sometimes it's nowhere to be found. Maybe I'm nowhere to be found. It's probably there. I'm just nowhere to be found. But I found in working with the tachine that, you know, like you were saying, when it comes to pressure, there's not a lot. So what else is going on? Sometimes I'll think about how does the fascia feel under my fingers, under the influence of the Tation? How does the fluid in the fascia feel under my fingers, under the influence of the taishin? I take it as a question. I don't try to direct something. I don't do this like I'm using my intention and trying to make something happen. It's more like I'm really trying to listen and feel and just listen like what might be here. It's more a way, I would say, of focusing attention rather than trying to make something happen. If that makes sense,
0: right? Well, now you're getting into Jeffrey Dan's work, and with the Koshi balancing, I know you've interviewed him, and I'm a big admirer. You know, I was there, and I think it was 2004 in Seattle. Yes, I think that's where we first met, actually, at the Shudo seminar when Shudo let him teach for two hours and Junji teach for two hours. Well, that was the summer following, right? And uh, we had that place with the big windows everywhere. I don't know exactly where we were. But uh, yeah, that was the first time Jeffrey had a full two days to explain the whole Koshi concept. But if I could just describe his needle, his teishin or enshin technique, Uh, and this was actually invented in my living room in Portland. I had given Jeffrey, he came to teach, you know, I have a seminar hosting company, Portland Traditional Japanese Medicine Seminars. He came to teach, we hosted him eight times. Jeffrey always sold out the crowd. And So I had just given him a Tation only technique. Maybe I used Moxa too, I can't remember. And maybe there was a little body work in there. That I don't remember either, but no needles. And he was fascinated. So just when he treated me, you know, moments later, then this this technique appeared out of the ethers. It reminds me, Buckminster Fuller, people said, he invented so many things. He said, I always had the feeling that it, there was a metaphysical mustiness about things that I, they had been invented long before, but forgotten. He was just kind of bringing them back into the public awareness. I like that phrase, a metaphysical mustiness. So what Jeffrey does, let's say with the engine or an entation, it's perfect. Say you're at gallbladder 27, 28 area inside the ASIS, and maybe for comfort's sake, the patient's knee is up. So they're on their back and... You start to sink. Say you find a tight point, uh, gallbladder 27 or 28, and you start to sink down slowly. So you actually are pressing. It's not five grams anymore. It's however much pressure you need to actually advance down to get to that roughly superficial fascial layer. And there, you're talking about listening to the fluid. That's this, of course, Chinese uh, character ting, which is key for all the tation techniques. We're listening, we're tissue listening. You advance this this entation. You could do it with an ention. You can do it with a tation. And once you get to the layer that needs to be worked, there'll be sort of a, a shearing. That you, it'll feel as if your patient is pulled in a certain direction, and that direction will change. It'll feel like you're going all corkery uh, through. But the tation actually still stays on the same spot on the skin, but you're moving subtly around. And so that could, for people who are listening to us discuss this, that might be an easier technique to get started with because I'll tell you, I don't have an easy time working at five grams pressure. I did the whole Toyahari training twice. I recommend it to everyone, you know, Dan, Brenda, Zoe, Marty, they're excellent teachers. It's well-thought-out program. And it's a real challenge. You can, of course, you know, make your hand artificially light and but you're going to accomplish it in a way that ruins the cheek communication. You'll be too tight in your shoulder or elbow. You're just artificially trying to get to five grams. You're not doing anything as a technique that's helpful to the patient. You have to be honest. What can you actually accomplish with your hand? So I'm probably in that, you know, 8 to 11 grams most of the time of contact pressure. If I'm doing Jeffrey's technique, of course, it becomes much more than that.
1: Well, it makes me wonder here, how, how supple is your nervous system that you could exert five grams of pressure being relaxed and attentive? What I'm hearing you say is five grams of pressure actually creates a lot of tension in you. Being able to supple our own system enough
0: that we can listen. If you're not ready for it, you'll create tension in order to accomplish that lightness. So better for me, and I had a dream to tell me this, by the way, and dreams always speak in the uh, language of symbols. Uh, And so in the dream, I go to Institute for Traditional Medicine and I ask for 44 gauge needles and I can see them on the shelf right Behind the shopkeeper and they won't give them to me. they'll give me 42gage needles. So that told me symbolically, uh, right now, at least at this point in time of the dream, it's not for you to try to do gentler than you're capable of doing. Uh, and so you know the people who've done advanced Toyhari training or maybe who hung out with Dr. Bear for 30 years, you know, it might be more natural in their hands, but that just told me, be kind to myself. Do what you can do. You can still accomplish good with 8 grams, 11 grams, 12 grams of contact pressure. And maybe in the future, a dream comes, and then they're handing you 44-gauge needles now. <laughs> and it tells you, you know, you can get gentler now. So I, I work on this all the while, you know, my left-hand technique being as, as light as I can be. I think it's a, a real clinical tip that you have this focus. From the Tayahari senior teachers to be that light and to have that good a left hand technique, yeah, we call Oshide. And uh, when I had a chance to ask Dr. Bear, like he appreciated that I brought him to the U.S. so many times, and you know he had a big group in New Mexico. He was hosted there by the High Desert Hari Society, but I was the one who introduced them to Dr. Bear and suggested they invite him after he had, you know, been with me in Portland. So he's appreciating how I'm helping his teaching career. And he asked me, how can I help you? And I, what I wanted was, I said, I want you to pay attention to my Oshide and help me get better. Now, this is a strange thing because, you know, he's blind, he was blind. So he had to put both of his hands on, on my hands as I executed this left-hand technique. And, you know, he gave me some feedback. You know, if you have the chance to ask a favor of, say, uh, uh, a master herbalist from China, it's, it's not going to be an insignificant. You'll probably ask, oh, explain this to me about the, this Yin statement or, or something like that. Uh, but in Japan, they really appreciate the importance of the basics, right? There's that quote from Michael Jordan I use all the time about the importance of the basics. He said, if you don't have the basics right in business, in basketball, in whatever you're doing, it's not going to turn out well. You have to have the basics down really solid. So that means how am I standing at the table, my spacing to the patient, right? When I bend over, is it done, you know, retaining healthy verticality in my spine? And what is my left-hand technique? What's my right-hand technique? And, you know, then engaging vitality, what's the vector of the tation? Dr. Baer never talked about that, but that's a big deal to me now to, to get the vector right. And, you know, Dan and the other engaging vitality teachers are absolutely right. It's unbelievably important. It makes such a big difference. And it makes sense that it makes a big difference.
5: Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. It's at annsecilsturman.com forward slash sinews 2024 Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you.
1: Bob, for folks who may not be familiar with the engaging vitality work and, and not sure what you mean by vector, can you walk us through that?
0: Can I do it by telling a story about Dr. Ma, who's probably one of your teachers? <laughs> Dude, stories are the best. So this was the doctoral program. That's actually the last place Dr. Ma taught. I was in the last cohort that he taught. So we're talking about Ma Shochun, famous practitioner, herbalist, acupuncturist, scholar from Seattle, kind of colleague, teacher both ways with Dan Bensky and Somehow it ended up in the uh, clinic theater portion of the program that they misscheduled. He was supposed to treat this patient in front of the whole group. There were 23 of us, and there were some extra people in the room. Well, another person arrived early, so I had to go into a back room with Dr. Ma alone. I'm the only one who saw this treatment. And this was a young woman who was 19. She had to drop out of school. She had gotten out of high school, but she was uh, training to be an esthetician. Vomiting every day, uncontrolled diarrhea every day. And he thought his way, you know, like TCM, analyzing signs and symptoms. And the point's not going to surprise anyone. Pericardium 6, stomach 36, CV12, and maybe one other point. Then he took out red uh, serin needles. I'd never seen a Chinese guy use serin needles, certainly not a red one. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. He what? And then here's where it comes in. He took 30 seconds to find the pericardium 6. He had an alcohol gauze pad and was palpating through that. And he, like, no exaggeration, 30 seconds to find his point. Then he gets it. Then he puts the guide tube on that point precisely. And then he starts subtly toggling the guide tube around. But it, always very close to the perpendicular. Never, you know, like, you know, 80 degrees off of that, you know, where you'd be very flat or very close to the perpendicular, and then another 20, 30 seconds he found it. And this he did on every point. And then, when he determined he had the right angle, what I'm calling a vector angle here, he just gave one tap, the needle went flush to the top of the tube, so that's five, six, seven millimeters deep. And then he left it. He didn't do any needle technique nothing, no added moxa. And, you know, I have a high opinion of him already at this point, but I'm thinking, oh, he's an herb specialist. I'm not going to expect much out of this treatment. Well, the way it worked out at OCOM is you would bring people in for the clinic theater. You would entice them to come in because who wants to get treated in front of 30 people? Uh, They would say, well, you'll get free herbs that'll be prescribed. And the next day on Sunday, when the doctoral students are interns, you can get a second treatment. Well, luck would have it. The next day, I was the intern she came to. And when she left the clinic theater, the herb room downstairs was already closed. So she got no herbs. She, when she came back on Sunday, she did get them. And, and by the way, he gave Ban of Shintang. And it really helped because then she came back. I was a supervisor. at Ocam then. So she came back and I could see it was good. After that, I lost track of her. So she comes back the next day, and she reports, this was 3 or 4 o'clock, she said, so now it's been 24 hours. She said, this is the first time, and I can't tell you how many months, that I've had no diarrhea, no vomiting, no even nausea. And I thought, what the heck did that guy do? And Because I'm explaining it now as if I were understanding this idea of looking for an angle. I didn't understand that, and I didn't understand this obsessiveness about the precise point location well they asked uh, two months later they said students want someone to teach us palpation who should we ask so, you know they called me into the office and i thought well there are lots of people in japanese style you could ask but my classmates they were really interested in that two or three of us were so i said uh, you should bring dan bensky if he'll come and so we got one Full day, 10 hours of Dan. That's all he could free up for us. And I, at a break, I told him the story, and he laughed. And he said, he learned that from me. I was just
1: thinking, I know where
0: Dr. Ma learned that
1: from. Him and Dan spent many years together working on a Shang
0: Han Lun book. That's great. What a, yeah, that's a good story. So that's where I learned the importance of, now think of two ships leaving London, or England somewhere, and they're coming to North America, and they're only, say, three degrees difference in heading. Maybe one of them ends up in New York City, the other one ends up in Port of Miami. You know, over time, three degrees makes a big difference. So it's our bias that says that it's not that big a deal if the tation is, you know, absolutely perpendicular or two degrees off the perpendicular. That's just a bias. We don't have any information to support that whatsoever. And I can tell you, it is. Dr. Bear doesn't talk about it, but you watched him with the Tatian. There was some looking around. He just never articulated it. I don't know if he knew it himself, what he was doing. You know, Dan has just got so many of those helpful little things. I, I say it's, it's like the wheel. It's something so basic. There have been cultures that lasted centuries, and they never had the wheel for transportation, right? For carts, they just dragged things, you know, behind horses or whatever, so this idea of whether you're inserting a needle or using a tation, that uh, he calls it the vector of engagement, that's super important, absolutely important. And yeah, like everybody who, who uses that in their practice, you know, like they should give Dan a thousand dollars every year, just as ongoing tribute for <laughs> adding that to the profession. It, it's that important to me. And how do you know, know when you have the right one? Already you're developing new perceptual abilities, right? What is it in a person that knows this is the vector and two degrees off like this doesn't feel good at all? How are we perceiving that? Isn't that interesting? We have all kinds of... This was a, a point from Goethe, aside from being a literary great, he was much more proud of his work in science. He said that there we every phenomenon... Think of this is mind-blowing. He said every phenomenon that gives birth in us, we should say in parentheses, potentially to a new organ of perception. Well, my goodness, how many organs of perception do we have then? And I think our senses, some of them are combining in some way that's not so clear to me that I can tell this is a good vector, this is not a good vector.
1: I'm thinking back to earlier in our conversation, the idea in skin science, as you call it, I want to go look some of this stuff up. Now that's got my interest because I remember before I went to acupuncture school being in, um, anatomy and physiology. And, you know, you see all the pictures and all these little sensing cells. There's different kinds all in the skin and they're all over the place. You also bring it around to take it to something very simple single-celled organism, of course we're, we're more complex, but in some ways we're similar. We have an outside membrane, we call it the skin, and it is part of our perceptive system in the world. Absolutely. We're funny critters. We tend to rely on our eyes, you know, being predators. We have these eyes in front. Yeah, Cooleridge spoke of the tyranny of the eye. Thank you. That really puts a pin in it, no pun intended. Yeah, I feel in some way that our senses, vision in particular, but all the senses, depending on how you use them, they will open a certain world to you, and they will blind you to everything else. Senses as blinders. Okay, now we're getting into some crazy stuff. But that makes sense to me, Bob. That actually makes a kind of sense. That our senses and our percept, our sensorium is blending in a certain kind of way.
0: Yeah, then let me mention another uh, guy, Michael DeAgro. He's a big name in the North American Shiatsu world, practices Upper Peninsula, uh, Michigan. Background also as a therapist, psychotherapist. I sat in on two days of his classes, and the, the whole importance of What we're doing with our awareness came home in terms of space, spatial awareness. And uh, this changed everything for us probably six years ago. One of the most important things I I had encountered up to that point. And uh, so I'd say that learning, and I'll describe it more in a moment, and the stuff with Dan, Marguerite, Chip, just so key for me, But the Toyahari work and the Dr. Bear work, important for setting the stage. So I I more had the hands and the perception I could do something with it. So Michael just had us, you know, say we're on the stomach channel on the leg. And he just set up the exercise this way, you know, put a hand somewhere, put four fingers somewhere near stomach 36, somewhere near stomach 39. And he said, just try to sink into where you think the meridian is. And gently encourage length, you know, with a, it's kind of a, a very subtle thing and uh, And then people, after a few minutes, they'd come together in their little pod of eight tables, say it was quite a, a good crowd, maybe sixty people, and people shared how did that feel, and then we went back to part two, and he said, "Now, as you're doing that, become aware." spatially, of the literal room we're in, not space like interstellar space, not going out to the Milky Way edges, and, but just the room we're in. Do the work with your hands. Some of your awareness is there, but some of your awareness now goes into the room. Well, my life was transformed then. I felt that you know, I had entered a field, right? Scientifically, fields do occupy space. A field of prayer or a sacred field well, this was a Buddhist uh, meditation room, a center there in Chicago. Well, Evanston, actually. And so I thought, oh, this is a, an effect of you know all the prayer and chanting and meditation that goes on here. There's just some local field had been created, and I just kind of stumbled into it. Well, nobody else in the whole room had any experience like I did. I felt like a kind of like an idiot trying to put this idea out there. And there was just like no resonance coming back to me. And I thought, what's going on? And I still was explained to myself that it was a function of the actual space I was in. Well, I come back to you know Portland and UNM clinic. Well, there's no Buddhist practices going on in those intern treatment rooms, same thing. And wherever I was treating a patient, same thing was accessible. And I was at a loss for how to explain this. And I have two dear friends who teach uh, anthropology at a local school here. And they put me onto the work of Murcia Eliade, who was a famous uh, professor at the University of Chicago. He called himself historian of religious experience. He didn't want to be thought of as a kind of cross-religious scholar. And uh, he uh, goes through in his work, and there's a book called, like, the... The Sacred and the Mundane, I think it's the title. There are 30 pages in there that just pure gold that perfectly explained what had happened to me. And it it comes around to, you know, I think uh, Heiner, always, Heiner Pruhoff, always emphasizing in Chinese medicine the importance of Zhong. So many different ways this becomes gi in Chinese thinking. Of course, we got, you know, Chinese medicine, Zhong Yi. The, movement from mundane space to sacred space is not possible without a center being established and the center spins and the navajo silversmiths who make my were talking about tations when i was preparing for a talk on this didn't call this was a text back and forth uh, ernie lister and and he said yeah they have four sacred mountains and the space in between that's the center has to be invoked, or no healing can be can occur in your ceremony. And he said, and that center spins. Well, one of Heiner's herb teachers, uh, Wu Sheng'an, teaching that the center spinning is what generates healthy upward qi movement, healthy descent of qi. So here we have, when we're working with the tation, what's going on? Of course, what we said earlier, we have to be grounded in our feet. We have to have our center of gravity sunk as low as we comfortably can. We need you know, free shoulders. Everything's got to be comfortable. But all of our attention is not on the tation, right? And Gary goes through, he breaks it down even further, but for our purposes now, we'll be a little more brief. This spatial awareness, a whole dimension opens up. And the quality of your encounter with the patient can change entirely when this spatial dimension comes in. To me, it is uh, the mundane, this, what does our culture have to say about space? It's just this homogenous nothingness, right? Absence of anything worthwhile. We've got a noun here in my left hand, a noun in my right hand. I need space between, or else I couldn't have the two nouns, right? So it's this homogenous nothingness we say nothing about. And my friends told me there have been, you know, so many doctoral dissertations in uh, anthropology, medical anthropology, about the culture-to-culture differences and appreciation of space and its meaning. For the Aborigines in Australia, it's more like the collective unconscious. It'd be closer to how they think of space, for instance. So this opened up a big world for me, and uh, that continues to open. So when I'm working with the Tatian, I'm paying attention to what the Alexander technique, they call it the use of self, you know, how I'm standing there, my spacing to the patient, that's uh, my eye, and, you know, the lightness of my technique, how Precise am I with my left index finger and thumb, my right hand coming up higher up on the tation. All these elements, but also spatially aware. And what Gary shared is, you know, Kuhara sensei's idea that is from Tanjong, that the spatial awareness that we hold, that spatial awareness. That was a good insight. Kuhara, he's an amazing guy. Uh, He's one of the best I've seen.
1: Let me see if I'm following this. I hear you describe it, and it's hard not to go into kind of a little trance state. So let me just make sure I'm following this. In this class, you were attending to feeling a channel, but you could easily be attending to feeling a tachine or pulse for that matter. right? And you're not just putting your attention on the thing, the pulse or the tachine or the skin or whatever. Your attention is partly there. Your attention is partly... In your body, using it properly so that it's supple and connected and sensing. And then all of that is happening within the space of the room. And that space of the room, that adds something. Something about a field, dynamic, that shows up when you do that. I love how you said the room, not the Milky Way. You know, not like way, way out there. You know, sometimes I'll, you know, someone will be, I'll be listening to a guided meditation or something and it's like up to the heavens, out to the edge of the Milky Way. And I'm like, I'm lost. I I can't even begin to imagine that. I just immediately become uncentered from the whole thing. But considering taking my attention, simply filling the room, Bob Quinn, that sounds doable
0: yeah it's the way to go again michael dagro he's he's the best body worker I've seen. I know people say you know Pauline Sasaki something special in Kishiyaki Nobo. I just never saw them. I saw Michael do with a stroke patient faster work than Dr. Juming Jing could do with needles just uh, amazing, and he hardly even touched her so he's a very talented guy and I'm very grateful to him for the opening this world of space uh, for me. And uh, that continues, as I said, to evolve. Now, I mentioned Eliade. He had a word for this, this uh, hierophany. This is sort of a, a descent of the sacred into the mundane. We could call that, but be a working definition. And the sacred certainly, uh, for me, doesn't have to hearken up images of religion. It's this feeling of awe and that you're on sacred ground. You're right. We know what that feels like, I hope. I, I certainly do anyway. So we have to become that zhong, that center. Then the transformation can happen. And, but we have to have our awareness there as well as on executing all the details of the technique, keeping the whole of the patient in our awareness as well. It's, it's a, a trick to juggle all these pieces while you're working with the patient. That's why we need to practice at home. Americans, uh, unless they're also a dancer, or musicians, in general, they don't understand you need to practice. Uh, and it, in Japan, most of those students there, they do understand you need to practice when you get home, practice your moxa technique, your tation technique, your needle technique. I don't know if it's still there in China, but it used to be Dr. Zhu told us when I, I studied with him for 10 months, you know, he was a great scalp acupuncture. He's still alive, but I don't think he practices now. He said no one had any money in China, and he said even if you had had money, there was nothing to buy. Uh, So they just sat in their dorm room every night, two, three hours, practicing needle techniques on each other. That's how you get good.
1: I remember practicing needle technique when I was first in acupuncture school. You know, you start with oranges and graduate to uh, yourself and then your students and the unfortunate members of your uh, immediate family.
0: Yeah, we, we need to practice. Again, it goes back to that Michael Jordan quote, you know, just the basics. And talk about basics with Dr. Ju. He said, I used to know 28 needle techniques really well. He said, now I have one technique for tonifying and I have one technique for sedating. He said, that's all I need. So he, he kind of became simpler. And by the way, his scalp needling, when I first learned it, it was kind of tough to be in that class when I came around to studying with him, you know, mainly he's using thirty-six gauge needles, sometimes thirty-four, and uh, his—it's you don't even hardly feel the needles. His technique in the scalp is so much gentler than the other styles. I've studied two other styles, one of which is a little bit gentle, but by far, Doctor Jew is the gentlest of the ones I've been exposed to.
1: It goes a little bit against the grain of being an American. We tend to think. More is better, stronger is gooder. And uh, patients often ask for that too, right? Walk, you know, I got this big trouble, like, doc, load me up with needles. And, uh, you know, we both know that's not going to be helpful. I mean, it might be helpful, but it's not how many and how strong. It's, well, vector and directionality and I would dare say, the presence
0: that we bring to it. Yeah, I never encounter that anymore. People ask me, what do you tell the patients when you want to do this gentle stuff? I'm kind of known in Portland at this point for better or worse, and people who get sent to me, they already know it's going to be a strange experience, so you're probably not going to get any needles put in you at all. And people don't even ask me. It's an odd thing. But for other people trying to work a little bit of tation into their practice with with an existing patient, it apparently is a conversation that they seem to need to have. uh, So I'm not the best one to help them with that. It just doesn't come up.
1: In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. 2024 to save 10% off Unico Needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Yeah. Well, we grow into the kind of practitioners that we are in an organic way. And of course, our practice will reflect that over time for sure, because. And it sounds like you have, too, to some degree. I think a lot of us have. We learn something. It's helpful. We do it. We go learn something else. We want to try it. Let's see how this works. And, of course, the first person to notice will be our patient. It's like, you haven't done that before. What are you doing? You know, we have to have some kind of good answer about, well, there's this new thing I'm investigating. And, you know, sometimes patients are like, what do you mean you're you're still learning this? Don't don't you already know it? <laughs> they get a little disgruntled. Like, I thought you knew what you were doing.
0: Yeah, luckily we have examples from, you know, regional cuisines and from dance and from music. There are just so many ways of doing things. If the if you only have only ever seen one style of dance, say you've only seen African dance and then you see ballet, which just it seems like an entirely different world. One one's not better than The other, like, you only know Cuban cooking, and then you go to Beijing. You know, it's going to be a very strange experience, and yet you can't say Chinese cooking better than quality Cuban cooking, right? It's just, there's so many styles of acupuncture, and for better or worse, the people that end up with me are ones for whom the gentle stuff seems to be a good fit. I would
1: say that I have noticed over time I have attracted the kind of patients that are the right fit for what I'm curious about and currently working on.
0: Yeah, it seems to work out uh, that way. When I was great guns on Thai massage, I was studying with Dr. Paul Greenbaum, and I, I, I do love that stuff. And I just got the perfect patients you know, galore for whom traditional Thai massage was a helpful therapy. So now I'm interested in... You know, the gentle body work, you interviewed Stephen Schleifer but the, you know, the Qigong Pinna, this very subtle Taoist work, interested in a number of moxa styles, interested in a number of Taishin styles. And uh, I still, when I need to, I use Dr. Zhu's scalp work, but it's just not that often. And so, you know, I'm just kind of working in a, a different way now. The things that interest me and that I spend my time on developing art, like what I was describing, spatial awareness. It's a funny thing. People don't think it's important when you like, well, what are you talking about? Space. How could that matter?
1: I've heard some Buddhist friends describe space, which most of us see as empty. They say, no, 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 no. Space? That's what connects everything
0: together. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, Stephen, one of his uh, teachers maintained why Why do the Taoist hermits, why are they out in the mountains and not out in the flat desert? It's that they, in their self-cultivation practices, they need that vast space ahead of them. You know, you can be on the edge of a mountain and you see this landscape in front of you. They are using in their cultivation practices that space. And I, I never would have thought of it. You know, so the kinds of things that I learned from Dan Bensky, you know, We've only talked about the vector of engagement, but there are other things uh, that are just so helpful and things I've learned from Stephen with the Qigong Tui Na and Jeffrey with Koshi Balancing. I never would have thought of any of them. I'm just not clever in that way. And uh, I've had a good nose for teachers, you know, like a bloodhound found, uh, following a...
1: You know, there's that, but it sounds like you have also found your own way. With certain things. How do I know this is true? Number one, you just told me about the experience of finding sacred space by simply inhabiting the room that you're in. That's not
0: small. No, but that's exactly what Michael was telling. What's interesting to me, and if I reflect on it, is that in a room of 60 people, one person got it. What were they doing? And maybe they just didn't believe him that it was going to be important, or they got confused. What does he mean? I thought he was pretty darn clear in his description of what he wanted us to do.
1: My suspicion with epiphanies like that is that there's already something that you've been working on. You don't come to it blank. There's already something that's been gestating. There's already something you've been noodling on. And this simply quickens it. It rhymes with something you already
0: know. It's like, Oh,
1: right. That. Yeah.
0: That's right. There it is. There's a funny thing there. A year and a half or two before that, I was just signing off on someone's capstone. I had just been a reader, I wasn't the advisor. And it was focused on pain, some aspect of pain treatment. And the student, she asked me a, a last minute question. It was no longer, she wasn't going to make any additions to her work. As I said, I was just signing off on it. I remember what I said. I don't even remember the question. I said, <laughs> I'm not even convinced we understand time and space properly, and failing that kind of basic understanding, I think any opinion I give you is unlikely to be uh, worth anything. You know, we've got to have the basics understood. Well, lo and behold, I I say that, and then a year, year and a half later, whatever it was, I end up with Michael DeAgro, and he opens up. Oh, we haven't even talked about time, but you know, we're to- talking about space, but could put it together, space-time like Einstein did. Uh, So that got opened up for me, and like I said, that's a a biggie.
1: Yes, well, I'm looking forward to uh, investigating that when I walk back into clinic. Okay. (laughs) That'll be tomorrow morning.
0: And work on this idea of becoming the center yourself so that the hierophany can occur, this descent of the sacred into the mundane. I,
1: I will leave it open as a possibility.
0: Yeah, with all your background at Upaya and that sort of thing, I'm sure you'll pick it up much faster than I did.
1: Who knows? <laughs> well, anyway, I want to come back to your book for a moment, because you just published a book, and I wanted to jabber a bit about that, we've already been jabbering here for over an hour, so I just want to come back to the book just to uh, tell us a little bit about it, with people can expect to find in it. It's already out there by the time y'all hear
0: this. Yeah. So I thought of this when I became committed as a student of Dr. Bears, and the possibility of having a practice like his kind of tation only. I don't think that's a good idea now, by the way, for most people, but for some people, it'll be a calling. You know, I might have Two patients a month where I use needles. Mostly I'm using Taishin, Moksa, Qigong Twina, Fascial Sotai. Uh, that, that's something you haven't had an interview on yet, but we could make that happen for you with Hiro Komatsu and other gentle body work. And that's how I'm practicing now. So I started to think of that possibility once I encountered Dr. I saw so, so how effective he was. Yeah he helped me with my own health in tremendous ways. And, you know, the Toyahari teachers, I understood their hesitancy. They're happy to use tation for very sensitive patients. But the idea of doing only that, I think, as I said a moment ago, I think they're right. It's not good to promote tation only. Someone will find their way to that on their own if that's their path. But there were no books out there, really. And uh, so I thought of I started just writing, you know, some chapters some years ago and so it's a how to book. There I do discuss things like space. I do go into doctor Bear's work, which would have to be considered a little bit advanced at least. And but mainly it's how do you tonify with the Tation? How do you tonify a point? How do you tonify a region? What if you go with an engine? How does it change? And I talk about importance of treating horror, importance of treating neck, other things like that come up. The book's uh, only 100 pages. Uh, so it's a small how-to guide with these philosophical musings that I found important. Uh, and I had a great artist work with me on the book. It's beautiful. The artwork is really beautiful. I try to have you know some inspiring quotes uh, throughout. And so it's out there. Other people are working on Books as well. A friend in L.A. Otsky Maeda is working on his book. Has been for quite a while. It'll be quite different, I'm sure, from mine. And I hope there are ten more books by the time the next two years go by. Because to me, this is uh, worthy of exploration. Absolutely.
1: And you know, I want to I want to say as well. I think it's emblematic of how this medicine has migrated itself. From East Asia over to North America. And it's found some solid rooting.
0: Yeah. I think Dan Bensky's responsible for a lot of that, you know, because he's an osteopath as well, has all that deep experience.
1: There's that and everything he's done, everything he's done with Eastland Press that brought us so much valuable information. For sure. Deep gratitude to, to Dan and John O'Connor, who makes Eastland Press really hum. And, but the point I was making is that this medicine has entered the lives of people like you. It's entered the lives of people like me, colleagues that we have, that we know and respect and we learn from, and it's thriving and it's growing and you can write a book about it because you have solid experience. And so you have something worth sharing. And increasingly we're seeing that here in the United States, here in the West not just the United States, other English-speaking parts of the world. The medicine grows. I think we're very fortunate.
0: Yeah, it's a, we're fortunate that long ago the Chinese didn't hold it close to their chest, you know, made it out to Korea.
1: Well, now we don't know if they held it close to their chest or not. The Koreans might have gone in and stole it. You know, they might have thought, who, who, who are these physical therapists from Korea coming down and stealing our stuff?
0: And the Vietnamese, oh. right? And... You know, then it makes it, uh, I think it was really a Korean monk who brought it to Japan. But for whatever reason, however it happened, the cat's out of the bag. It's going all over the place. You know, you have these unique styles developing like in England. And it's just human creativity being uh, what it is. Um, There's always this morphing.
1: Yes. Well, Bob, I had this thought the other day that acupuncture doesn't belong to us, but rather... We belong to it. And it gives us, that puts the center in a different place.
0: Yeah, there's a real responsibility. That's right. Yeah.
1: So thank you for all you've done over the years. And I'm looking forward to reading your book. And it's always great to hang out and jawbone for a while.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate what you do with Geological. Talk about making a contribution to the profession. This is. Really a a big addition. Happy to help. It does look like you enjoy it.
1: Well, I've never lasted long in something that I haven't. It's just, I'm not wired for it.
0: You know, in the Gospel of Thomas, when they ask Jesus for advice, he says two things. Don't lie. Don't do what you don't love. Isn't that interesting?
1: I love it. Okay. I'm following Thomas.
2: (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bob Quinn. Until next time, then. Yeah, thank you. One of the things I discovered over my time working with the tachine is that there's a lot of activity at the very surface of the body, especially at the place where you contact the fluids that are in the connective tissue of the triple burner. Remember a few years ago, there was a big hoopla about discovering, a air quotes here, new organ, the interstitium. It was a fluid-filled aspect of the connective tissue. You know, I'm not sure whether to celebrate or sigh when conventional biomedicine discovers something within Chinese medicine, but uh, I'm getting off track here. What I've wanted to say is that I found that the taishin, when it gently touches this fluid matrix, there is a lot of activity and it's notable if you're attending to it. However, and this is key, if you blow by that layer, then you'll miss the information and the interaction that's possible there. It's not unlike swimming in a river in the summer. You'll find that there are warm and cold currents, and they have a notable delineation. And as is so often the case with our medicine, I think of that great classic of enoughness. You know, the story that you heard as a kid and no doubt read to yours, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It reminds me how important it is to aim at that just right connection and in that just right place. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that.